So grab your Bibles, your devices. We will make a stop in the book of John, chapter 11, and then we will find ourselves at the resurrection story today in that of John, chapter 20, in a few moments. So as we started the service with this video from downtown Anderson about that of questions... Well, Easter is about questions. It really is. We have a lot of them about the season and what it means and, and all of those kinds of things. And so this, uh, this weekend, in fact, yesterday afternoon, through my son Chad, my oldest in Atlanta, my granddaughter Emma, who's 11, sent a question to me. And her question was, in fact, he sent a question says, Emma has a question for you, Papa. And said, it's a theological question. I thought, okay, what is this, right? And she said that the question was, why did Jesus choose to appear to Mary first after the resurrection? I thought that was interesting. So I sent this long book that I wrote to her, my 11-year-old granddaughter, right? And I sent that to her to help, and, and her response to me was, thank you, right? After this big, the, this big theological explanation of that, said, thank you. So if you have any thoughts about that or why Jesus chose to appear to Mary first after the resurrection... Hey, share those with me. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. It's a great question. But it is about a lot of questions. It really is. And so I remember when my youngest, Grayson, was, well, he was so young that he wasn't sitting in the front seat of the car, sitting in the back seat of the car. We're on our way to elementary school. uh, And so I'm taking him to elementary school in in the morning like I normally do. And we always have discussions. And so Grayson was an inquisitive child. And he would ask questions all the time, and he would come up with theological questions for me. So he said, in the front of the back seat of the car, he said, Dad, I have a question for you. And I thought, uh, you know, this is going to be an amazing theological question about something, and we're going to have a great discussion on the way. And I said, okay, son, what is your question? He said, Dad, what is Viagra, is what he asked me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I said... Um, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I saw it on a commercial. And uh, I said, so son, what do you think about the Holy Trinity and that of, the, that of one God but three in one? You know, let's talk about that for a moment, right? So we have a lot of questions that center around the resurrection. It's such an amazing moment in our, our faith life. It is. So I want to start our discussion today in the town of Bethany at the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha for a moment. And as the scripture that just was read informed us, that Lazarus has been sick and he has died. And so we find ourselves at this moment of Jesus as he, as he meets Martha before he gets to Lazarus' tomb. And she's extremely transparent with Jesus about how she feels about him. I want to take a moment to tell you that it's okay for you to be honest with God when you talk to him. Understand that. That he is your father, you are his child. And so she says to Jesus, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says to her, Lazarus will rise again. Martha believes that because Martha believes in the general resurrection of the saints. And so that's what she thinks that Jesus is addressing to her at that moment. That's what he's talking about to her. And so what we realize is he's saying to her that Jesus is talking about now, this moment that 
her brother will rise. I love this because Jesus is a God who loves us now. Amen? He loves us right now, not some futuristic, perfected individual that we may become at some point. But he loves us now. And he also is the master of our circumstances in our life now. And so he says to her in verse 25, Jesus said to her, talking to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever or, or everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked the question, do you believe this, is what he says to her. That Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Not just now in your life, but something greater to come is what he's talking about. Even the miracle that you're about to see, as great as it is, pales in significance to what is about to happen in my resurrection, is what Jesus is saying to her. And so he asked her, do you believe this? Not that I can raise your brother, not that at all, because we understand the text saying that Martha does not anticipate that of her brother being resurrected. That is not on her radar at all. It's, it's not. So what is the, the, the importance here is Jesus is saying is that I can bring life to you in this world and life to come through the power of my resurrection is what he's saying. Do you believe that? Because believing this, Martha, he says, is even more important and of greater value than you believing that I can resurrect your brother from the tomb. So I have another question. What if there was no resurrection of Christ? What if the crucifix, the, the crucifixion, the cross, was all that we had? What if the cross was empty, but yet the grave was occupied? Then you and I would make a pilgrimage every year to the burial place of Jesus, and we would say prayers there, and we would offer some kind of sacrifice or offering at that moment at the burial place of Christ, because in reality, that's all some people have in this world in their faith system is that. So would the cross be enough? And let me say to you and, and give you a theological point of clarification for just a moment that resurrection or no resurrection, we're still sinful human beings that we possess this propensity to sin in our life. But because of the redemptive work of the cross, we're no longer controlled by sin is what we understand that we still sin, but sin no longer has control over us. So what is the work of the cross and what is the work of the resurrection in our life? The cross covers our trespasses. Yes, the resurrection means that God no longer holds them against us. And I think that's important for you and I to lay some groundwork before we get to that of the resurrection story together. That the work of the cross covers our trespasses, but the work of the resurrection means that God no longer holds our sins against us. So without the resurrection and just having the cross, it would be an amazing love story. It would be a very sad ending for a good man dies for those that do not deserve his death. But the cross would inspire us to be better people. It really would. So without the resurrection, but just having the cross, then we would be more moral people. Absolutely, we would be much more moral people in this life, but our sins would be still held against us. Then our hope would only be found in us. 
that our faithfulness will be based in our own faithfulness. And the reality of our life, your life and my life, is that we don't get it right all the time. So our faithfulness is really shaky at moments in our life. So there has to be something more. There has to be something more than all of this. And the resurrection ensures that God no longer keeps score, is what it says to you and I. That God no longer keeps score. That he did keep score at one time in history. And that is that you had to go to the temple once a year. You had to make a sacrifice for the covering of your sin. And then your Excel spreadsheet was erased by that sacrifice. But yet, then all of your sins begin to be logged again throughout the year until you came back at that appointed time during the year to make a sacrifice. So God did keep score. So what the resurrection ensures today, that God no longer keeps score. Wow. So you have greeted each other this morning. You're, you're really close friends with the people around you. So can you turn to the person next to you and say to them, God no longer keeps score of your sins. Can you say that to them for a moment? Now ask him how big the score was, right? Yes, because you know you're curious. Yeah. That God no longer keeps score. This is, I think this is so powerful about the resurrection. And this is why he says this to Martha that day outside of that of him resurrecting her brother Lazarus. That there's something of more value here than the resurrection of your brother, Martha. You, you can't miss this. So do you believe this? Do you believe in the power of the resurrection. And to say the resurrection is important, I think, is an understatement. It is. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here's what he says. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not only even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. So if, there, so if the resurrection is true, then this is amazing because then all of this is true. And everything in our faith system is true. And we can place our hope in that if Christ has been raised. But if the resurrection is not true, then none of this matters. It doesn't. This is why Jesus asked Martha that day... Do you believe this? So I ask you the same question. Do you believe this? Wow. Well, Mark, I've been raised in church all my life. That's not what I ask you, right? Well, I'm here this morning. I know that you're here, and we're so thankful that you're here today. But that's not even the the answer to the question. The question is, do you believe this? So I have posed... A couple of do you believe questions for you this morning as we find ourselves in the resurrection story in John chapter 20. The first question is this. Do you believe in the resurrection without all the details? Do you believe in the resurrection without all the details? That's important. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you in the room consider yourself a very detailed oriented individual? Raise your hand if that's you in the room. 
Good. I, I feel good about being in the room. Yes. So I, that's good. Can I tell you, Jesus was himself. So you're in really good company. Isn't that correct? So here is the text in John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene is the one who Jesus has done a great miracle in her life by casting out seven devils from her. So she is an amazing walking miracle herself, came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And that disciple was John and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out and the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I pause for a thought. Why does John feel it necessary to remind Peter for all eternity that he lost the race? Have you ever wondered about that? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he's burdened with shame because of his denial of Christ, or he's older. I think if I was Peter, I would not have got there huffing and puffing. I would have said, so John, you may have won the race, bro, but did you ever walk on water, right? Yeah. Think about it. Yes. Verse 5. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, gasping for breath. And it's not there, but I just assumed that's what he was doing. And went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. I told you he was a person of detail. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For as yet, and this is so important, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must must rise from the dead. They believed even though they did not understand. So here is why I mention the details. And I think this is important. Because true faith is always based on some level of limited understanding. I say that again. That true faith is always based on some level of limited understanding. That that lack of understanding is is like a tension in our life, your life and mine, that pushes me to truth. It pushes me to the one that simply has truth for my life, and that is God, to discover truth in Him. So as they yet did not understand, but they believed, is what the Scripture says. So their heart is open, even though their mind has yet to grasp what has happened to Jesus and how it happened to Him. That faith transcends this intellectual ascent. That their trust is founded in knowing their trust is founded in knowing who Jesus is and not how he has escaped the tomb. And I think that's important for some of you in this room this morning to hear this today. That their trust in God is not based upon them knowing all the details about the resurrection. Because they've yet to understand what has happened in all of this, but yet they believe that their trust is based on their need for answers and a need for peace in their life. There's been a lot of change in the disciples' life, so there is a lot of unrest in their life. They have a lot of unanswered questions, so their need for answers is a way for them to find faith. 
I want to say to you that some of you are there today. You're here and you're wondering about God and you're hearing these things about the resurrection and you just don't know how all this could happen and how God could put all of this together and orchestrate all this. And does God really love me that much? Does he care for me? Could God really forgive me of all of my sins? Can I tell you today, you may not have all of the details of all of this, but your questions will lead you to the truth. So maybe your trust is based upon just what Jesus has spoken. That's where Martha was that day when he said to her, do you believe this? She doesn't have all the details, but she just knows what the Lord says. Or maybe your, your trust is based upon knowing the character and the nature of Jesus, that you know that he will not abandon you or leave you in times like this of your life. And you say, Mark, I want all the details laid out before me, though that's what I really want. I, to have faith, I want all those things laid out before me. But doesn't that go against the very nature of faith itself? Doesn't it? So I thought, well, how do we talk about this for a moment? So I, I brought a little illustration. Some of you have been wondering why the torch is up here, right? Yes. And you say, Mark, you need to be careful. I realize that. But here's one thing I understand about the flame, right? I understand that I do not have to touch it to realize what it can do to my skin. Correct? Can we agree on that? I don't have to understand necessarily all of the physics or the science behind the flame either. I don't have to say, I wonder what temperature it would take to give me a second-degree burn. No, I don't have to do that. No, I don't. Why do I know that this flame, if I put it to my skin, will harm me? Well, first of all, I know that because my mom told me that, correct, right? Isn't that the case? Yes? And if you ask your dad, your dad would say, ah, don't worry about it, it won't kill you. Correct? Yeah. That's sort of the difference between moms and dads, correct? Yes. But what I realize is I don't have to know all the details about that to understand the effect that it has on me. And some of you have come this morning and you're searching. And you're saying, if I just had some better doctrine in my life, then I could have faith. And I would tell you that's not the way it works at all. But it works just as we believe, just as Martha did in Bethany when she came to Jesus that day. We believe just as Mary did at the tomb. We believe as the disciples who did not yet understand, but, uh, but they believed as well. That I don't have all the details, but I do have a need in my life. And maybe you came with that need, or you came broken this morning, or you came with some poor decisions that you've made and you are suffering the consequences. Maybe your sin is so overwhelming in your life that you can't deal with all that or you feel absolutely empty within your life. Jesus says to you, then let's start with your need before understanding. Because your need will bring you to truth. That's what he says. So do you believe this is the question. So the second question 
Do you believe is? Do you believe that the resurrection leads to your heart and beyond? Let me continue reading the resurrection story. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus was laying, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Now, when they call her woman, it's not a derogatory term. It's a term that is, I think, it's, it's very contextual to the culture. And so they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. I always thought this is such an amazing story in a moment in the story, because here Mary is fearless, and she has just encountered two angels that are in white sitting in the tomb where Jesus was. And when the big burly Roman guards had experienced their audience with those angels, the Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 24, they fell like dead men. So I think that's interesting, isn't it? Yes. She just wants to know where they've taken his body. She's come to intern his body, to anoint his body again for burial. Not that he is risen to her in her mind, but that he is missing. I also think there's an amazing thought there that even though Mary believes that he is dead, she still calls him her Lord. Because not even his death could affect what Jesus did in her life. Verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus because of his, reinc- or his in- uh, resurrected state. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Because this is a powerful statement. Whom are you seeking? Supposing that he is the gardener. And she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where he, you have laid him that I may take him away, that I may go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And I always feel this emotion rise up inside of me when Jesus says this to her. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which simply means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Unlike what we've heard so many years in our teaching, it's not that Jesus says, do not touch me. But what Jesus is saying to her is, do not continue to hang on to me because I'm here before you. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. So I thought about this text. The good news is more than just he has a rose. There's something else here because there's a narrative and then there's a narrative behind the narrative. It's the very character. It's the revealing of the very character and the very nature of the Father being revealed through the Son, Jesus. It is when Jesus spoke to his disciples in John chapter 14, right after the Passover supper, right after he has washed their feet and he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And so when Mary says to Jesus, or or when Jesus says to Mary, whom are you seeking? 
It's the same thing that he says to his disciples when he calls them in John 1. The same thing he says to the guards when they arrest him in the garden. Whom are you seeking? Same thing he's saying here at the resurrection. It is God speaking to their hearts. What do you mean? Because the resurrection is more than a story. It's more than a narrative. It's more than just information for you and I. It's more than just a theological foundation for our life. It's something that you and I must experience in God is what it is. It's about our heart. God has always been focused on our heart more than anything else. More than your political views. More than anything else that you might think it's important in this life. God has always been about our heart. So when he says to Mary at that moment, whom are you seeking? When he says those things to her and she realizes who he is, by calling her by name, he speaks directly to her heart is what he does. It's to her heart. Because the empty tomb, the grave clothes folded over, the tomb, the the stone being rolled away, none of those things affected her until she heard Jesus say the name Mary. And when she heard him say the name Mary, what she realized was that it was him because he was speaking directly to her heart. Understand that that encounter with the risen Savior is not to just make you a nicer person or more moral or to adjust your behavioral patterns. It's to focus on the, nu- the, the nucleus of your being, and that is your heart. And when he spoke her name, he pierces through all of her pain and all of her grief and, and all of her uncertainty and all of her anxiety and unanswered questions, he pierces through all of those things and he goes directly to her heart. So if you're sitting here this morning in this Easter Sunday morning service and, and you are saying, I'm going to amass this information, I'm going to get all the details, I'm going to process through all of this intellectually, And then I'm going to make my decision about God at some point. Can I tell you that all of that is great and I am so glad that you're doing all of that. But until you open your heart to the risen Savior, there will be no transformation within you. Because it's always been about your heart. Do you believe this? Jesus asked. So the third is this. Do you believe that Jesus is your peace and joy in this hectic life? Verse 19. I love the narrative. It says, and on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. 
For this is the search of our life, isn't it? That we just want a little peace. And so here's the disciples. After all the events have taken place to the crucifixion, the burial of Jesus, they find themselves locked in a room just wanting some peace because they have so many questions and there's so many worries on their mind. They're fearful of what the Jews are going to do to them now after what they have done to Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus morphs through the walls with this real lasting peace and joy. So what would you do after that kind of weekend, right? What would you do after all of those events if you had experienced them? You would want to close yourself off. You would want some peace. You would want some quiet. And that's where the disciples are, even out of fear. And Jesus comes into the room without using the locked door. But yet the disciples are not feeling that yet. Only until Jesus shows them his hands and his side. And I thought about this. That entering into the room without using a window or the door was not enough to bring them joy and peace. But when they saw his physical wounds, it brought joy and peace and fulfillment. Because the joy and fulfillment in our lives is only brought about by the price that Christ paid on the cross for us. So Jesus is the living presence of the Father on earth, revealing the love of the Father for humanity, that there is peace of God through the Son, that everything is changed now in the creative order. The incarnation, the death, the, the resurrection has changed everything for all time. Sin and death has been defeated. The promise that was made in the book of Genesis to fix the brokenness of mankind has been fulfilled. Joy and peace. But it's not just any joy, but it's a joy that no one can take away. Do you believe this? Because life will tell you that there's a lot of things that you can find in this world to stuff into that God space of your life. And you can even try church and religion. You can try relationships. You can be extremely successful in life and you can try to stuff all of that into your God space and you will still find that the joy that you do experience in this life is only a temporary and a fleeting joy and fulfillment. That the only joy and fulfillment that will last for your life is that that is found in the resurrected Christ that has been paid for on the cross. But Mark, this is a journey for me. It's a difficult journey. God knows that. That's why he wrote this narrative and lived this out the way he did for you. Because the last do you believe question is, do you believe that Jesus is committed to the long haul with you? Because it's who he is.
Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him that we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and, the, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. And the word that is used there is, I will never believe. Those are strong words, aren't they? But we now we find ourselves a week later from when Jesus has appeared to the disciples and Thomas was not present. What we find here is a progression of our faith played out before our very eyes right in that of the resurrection story that God reveals himself through his loving kindness and through his patience and his compassion and his determination for Thomas's heart. The other disciples are in a different place than Thomas is in. So what does Jesus do? Jesus shows up again, this time specifically for the disciple Thomas. And Jesus doesn't judge him for where he is in his walk. Jesus doesn't condemn him, but he meets him where he is. Jesus knows what Thomas will become. Jesus knows through Thomas's testimony of that, of being a witness of the resurrection, that how many people will come to Christ. He knows that. But what I want to say to you is this. We're all in different places today, and God meets you exactly where you are. He meets you where you are. Believing is not a one-time event, but believing is literally becoming. Because with Thomas, you had the real of his life where he had not believed yet. And then you also had that of the ideal of his life where he does say to Jesus when he does see Christ, he says, my Lord and my God. But that space in between, that's the journey. And some of you are there. You're in that space in between that you're not going to deny Christ. You're not denying that Jesus exists. You're not denying that he's a good person. You're maybe not even denying that he perhaps went to the cross as a good person innocent man. You're not denying all of that, but you find yourself somewhere between that moment of that of you're not yet believing in the resurrection and that of believing and calling him my Lord and my God. That's your journey. That's where you are. And God is meeting you there because he's committed to the journey of belief with you. So do you believe this? 1 Peter 1 and verse 8, last verse. Therefore, although you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with him. That is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So what does genuine faith look like for you this morning? What does it look like for you? Can I tell you first what genuine faith is not? Genuine faith is not perfection. Understand that. Genuine faith is not perfection. 
But what genuine faith is, it is that you are struggling with the areas of your life that you should be struggling with. That's what genuine faith looks like. That's progress. And you're here today because you find yourself in that journey like Thomas, don't you? You find yourself in that place of not yet believing, in that place where you're saying, my Lord and my God. You find yourself in the middle of those two points of life. The question is, are you struggling with the things that you should be struggling with? Because that's the journey. Well, I would believe in God, Mark, but God allowed this to happen in my life. This tragic thing took place, and today I'm extremely angry with God. Oh, struggle with that. And God meets you there. But Mark, you don't know what I've done and how many promises I've made to God and how many times I've broken those promises as well. Then struggle with that. And God meets you there. Mark, I'm just not sure that God can love me. I'm struggling to love myself. Then struggle with that moment in your life today. And let God meet you there in that moment. Here's the beautiful thing about God. That you don't struggle alone. That you never struggle alone. So I looked back through the narrative as to what God did for the disciples and those around him who did not understand but yet believed. And he didn't leave them up to their own devices to figure this out. For Peter, he leaves the grave clothes. It's like a fingerprint that Peter may not understand how it happened, but Peter believes. He calls Mary by her name because it's the only thing that would pierce the brokenness of her heart Even the empty tomb or the folded grave clothes could not accomplish that. So he meets her where she is in her journey. He came to the disciples while they're hiding behind a locked door. Because he is about our fulfillment in life. And it's only found in him through the wounds of his body. He revealed his wounds to to Thomas because he is committed to the long haul with you. You see, what I love about all of these things 
is that God very strategically removes what we might even use as an excuse at times. And so the question is for you and I on this beautiful Easter Sunday morning is, do you believe this? That's the question. Not that do you know this? That's not what Jesus asked. Jesus asked, do you believe this? Because just knowing it does not transform you, but believing it does. Do you believe this? So for a moment, can I pray with you today? If you would take a posture of prayer, whether it's bowing your heads or closing your eyes or just sitting there quietly so that God can speak to you for a moment. And open your hearts to the presence and the power today of the resurrection. So, Father, today we pray in light of who you are, the resurrected Christ. And God, as we sit here, we may not have all the details and we may not be able to explain everything about this event. But yet we open our hearts to the areas that we struggle with in our lives. And you meet us there. So, Lord, if we can't begin with the information, then let us begin with the need of our life. And that need for every one of us in this room is the need for a savior because we cannot save ourselves. So let's begin there. That we need you. Father, you have witnessed us attempting to save ourselves time and time again in our lifespan. We have failed. But yet you've always been there patiently waiting because you are committed to the long haul of our life. So God, we open our hearts to you today. By the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak truth into our lives. That we may not understand, but we believe because we cannot save ourselves. So, Father, thank you for the cross and your sacrifice our sins 
Lord, thank you for the resurrection. That our sins are no longer held against us. And so we open our hearts to truth this morning. you sit here for a moment just very still and you're focused upon the resurrected Christ that I realize the demographics of this room just cover the spectrum and so there are some of you that are here that you're fully following Christ in your life and you know that but yet you're applying the truth of this narrative to struggles where you are and then there are some of you that you're away from God you're not following God in your life and you came here maybe because someone invited you or just because this is Easter Sunday and you're already struggling with the words that you have heard, let God meet you where you're struggling this morning. Let God meet you in this moment. And today, without even having all the details, make a decision to believe in Him Because he's committed to you for the long haul. So, Father, I pray for those today that don't know you in a personal way. And I pray in this moment, as the varying words of the narrative have caused a struggle in their life to deal with their own heart and where they are, and it has unearthed some struggles and needs that they have that you are meeting them right there in that moment of their life. And God, that you would draw them to you today. Because the question for them and for all of us is do you believe it? So if you're not following Christ, you pray this prayer. God, I don't understand all of this today. And I don't have all the details. But I know that I need something in my life. And God, that something is you. So I recognize your sacrifice on the cross and I receive your forgiveness for my life I confess you today as the Lord of my life and that I am forgiven I may not understand everything right now God 
But I know from the story today that you're committed to me for the long haul. And so I will trust you in this moment of my life. And God, I thank you. In Jesus' name.